Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey y'all, today we're talking about community and food and singleness, and it is really great. So I, I found out about Kendall Vanderslice, who is the guest on my podcast today, really during COVID, when everyone was making bread together. I found her through Edible Theology, which is a Bible study curriculum that she runs, and it's an Instagram account and all of the things, and I started following her there. And then I saw this book come out called Buy Bread Alone, A Baker's Reflections on Hunger, Longing, and the Goodness of God. And I knew I wanted to read about her story. And so I did. I picked up her story. I took her on a trip with me loved reading her story. I think this book reads memoir-esque, theology-esque. It's just really, really good. And so Kendall's on the show today. We're talking about our book. We're talking about community. We're talking about breaking bread together. We're talking about singleness in our church communities. We're talking about what it means to to sit around the table with people and have community and be vulnerable and have conversations. It's a really, really Great conversation. Uh, we talk about what food means to her and her life and how it has looked different in different stages. If you're looking for a really great book to kind of dive in and get lost in over the weekend, I'm going to recommend her book, By Bread Alone. I'll link to it in the show notes, uh, but I wanted to tell you guys about it because I really, really, really enjoyed it. You guys, you're going to love my conversation. Here is Kendall Vanderslice. Kendall, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you so much for having me. This is um, a joy to have you. And I want, I always like to give authors that I've never met a little full disclosure. Okay. Number one, we get a million and 78 pitches around here to have people on the show. (laughs) We get a million and 78 books that come through our office. And um, I did not know who you were when your book came through and everything. And so it was like, oh, you know, we're kind of full, whatever. But I had heard of edible theology. Mm. And I don't know how I had heard about it. I think I heard about it during COVID. Would that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I had heard about it during COVID and I was like super intrigued and all the things. And then I put those two together and I was like, oh, I want to talk to Kendall. And then it gets better. I took your book with me on a trip and I started reading it and I was like, this is so good. And so I just want you to know, I'm so happy to have you here. Even though we've never met, I'm enjoying your book. I haven't finished it yet, full disclosure, but I will finish it. And so welcome to the happy hour. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I wish I could remember who told me about edible theology, but I can't. So we're going to let you tell us about it. But first, introduce yourself and tell us where you live and what you do. Yes. So my name is Kendall Vanderslice. I live in Durham, North Carolina, um, and I am a professionally trained baker. uh, But right now I spend my days running the Edible Theology Project. Um, So our goal at Edible Theology is to help connect the communion table to the tables that we eat at all throughout the week. Um, so we really want to help help people understand what does this meal that we share as a church on Sunday morning have to do with the rest of the meals that we eat all week long. Wow. Can you give us a little 60 second, what does it have to do with it? <laughs> yes. Well, I would say everything. Okay. Um, but, you know, at, at the sort of in the beginning of scripture, we see humans created with two basic needs, this need for food and the need to share our lives with others. 
Um, and so throughout kind of the story scripture, we see the breakdown that happens in relationship to food through kind of a meal being the entry point of um, of brokenness into creation, but then also a meal being Jesus' offering um, of this sort of marking Christ's death and resurrection, um, also this promise of Christ's return, and also something that kind of carries us on until that moment. And so I think the meal that we share at the communion table is telling the story of Christ's death and resurrection, but also all of the meals that we eat um, are this reminder of, yes, creation is broken, and we experience that poignantly in relationship Mm. to food and in relationship to community, but also at the table is where God is healing both of those things as well. That is so good. So what do you guys do at Edible Theology? Like, I know you're like helping people see that, but in which ways are you helping people see that? Yeah, so our two biggest things are um, we have a, our curriculum. That's kind of our main our main point. So we have curriculum um, for families to use in their own homes and then also for churches to use in Sunday schools or in small groups. Um, so we've got one called Bake with the Bible that looks at six different gospel stories of bread, as well as the ways that bread has been used throughout church history. Um, and then we've got one called Worship at the Table, and it's looking at the different meals that are present in the story of scripture and then looking at the ways that um, our own lives have been shaped by food as well. I love that so much. I told you before we started that uh, my ni- my daughter, who's in ninth grade, loves to bake. And I hate baking. I hate cooking. <laughs> I hate. I love eating. So I love being at the table with food yes. that someone else has prepared. And, and you may not know this, but my husband loves to cook. And so Aaron is the chief cook at our house. When Aaron's out of town, my biggest my biggest worry is what will I feed all these children? So this is where I live in this stage right here. Um, yes. But uh, my daughter loves to bake. And so I think that she would be really intrigued by all this. And um, I've been reading your book by Bread Alone. And I keep thinking of all my friends in my life who also love to bake, especially bread and how much they would love your book. And so I love what you're doing. Okay, I want to go back to you said something earlier. You said you were a trained baker. Now, yes. what does that actually mean? Yeah, so I worked as a professional baker in both bakeries and restaurants, um, mostly in the Boston area, but a couple of different places as well. So um, yeah, I get really excited and nerd out over the science of what's happening when you make cookies or make a loaf of bread. Which this is like so crazy because for those of us that have nothing to do with this, we're like, wait, there's science involved? This is this is me at <laughs> like a, a, a sports kinesiology major. I'm like, wait, there's science involved? <laughs> but when I was reading your book, I mean, you kind of, you were thrown into the deep end in so many circumstances with baking. I mean, I want you to talk about like, when you, what was the ship that you worked on? Um, Mercy ships. Mercy ships. I mean, you were just like thrown in there like, hey, here's some random ingredients. How about you set up (laughs) a bake shop? Can you tell a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, when I had graduated high school, I took a gap year uh, to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, And I ended up running a bake sale to pay for my time there. Um, And then once I arrived on the ship, my boss, I was working in the ship shop and the cafe. So kind of making coffee and selling toiletries and and basic things. Um, And my boss asked, do you by chance like to bake? Because we want to provide baked goods for people and we have ingredients we need to use up. Um, And so it was just a wild sort of thrown in 
to use whatever ingredients we had on hand. You know, at one point we had an overabundance of oats. And so I needed to figure out recipes that used a ton of oats. Um, or at one point we were sailing over the holidays and we ran out of butter and everyone wanted to make Christmas cookies. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, what can we make without butter that satisfies everybody? And everyone comes from different parts of the world. So everyone has different cookies and baking, you know, holiday baking traditions and figuring out all of the different alternative ingredients that you can use. Can you sub applesauce for butter? You can in some things. Huh, see? How, look at there. Look look at that coming look from Jamie that. Ivy. Looky there. Um, okay, so let's talk about your book. You have a book. It's called By Bread Alone, A Baker's Reflections on Hunger and Longing and the Goodness of God. And I would call your book memoir-esque. Would you say that? Yeah, I think so. I like to say it's like theology of bread as told through my story. Perfect. Which your unique story, you're the only one that could have written this book, which I think is so beautiful. <laughs> they say that all the time. People are like, I don't know if I can write about it. I'm like, well, your unique story is there. But something that was unique about your story, and you talk about the theology of bread, is you walking through teenage years and early, early adult years with body stuff. And you're thinking like, yeah. I, I love baking. I'm, I'm creating bread. I'm looking at the theology of bread. I'm learning all the science. I'm a baker. But you have this inner struggle as well. So can you talk a little bit about that with us? Yeah, yeah. So my own relationship to bread and my body has been very complicated. Um, Which I also, was Kendall, a dancer. I think like a lot of our relationships fall under the yeah. complicated. Like in Absolutely. the time that we live in, everything is telling us so many conflicting yeah. conversations and things. And so I, I'm glad you're talking about this because you're not alone. And I just am thankful yeah. for your voicing this for the world. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I was in high school, it felt like I was the only one. And then now I realize all of us, all, <laughs> all of, of us. us have complicated relationships to food, to our bodies, to community. Um, I like to say that this book is about the relationship to our own bodies and the body of Christ and to our daily bread and mm -hmm. also the bread of life. Yeah. So kind of the, all of this, I think, is intertwined. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, I had a complicated relationship to my body and to food growing up. Um, I grew up in a family that was very concerned with food and the foods that we ate, um, a lot of anxiety around what it means to honor God with our bodies and honor God with the foods that we eat. Um, and so that looked like a lot of kind of hyper control over what we ate and where we got foods. And um, it was kind of food was the thing that always made me weird in school. You know, mm -hmm. I always ate things that were different than my friends. Um, but at the same time, I was also not a small child. Mm -hmm. um, I was always larger than my friends. And so there was kind of this strange juxtaposition of, you know, I, my family was eating in this way that was supposed to be the healthiest way. And my body did not look like what all the society around me was screaming what like a good, healthy body should look like. Um, and so I had a lot of insecurity around my relationship to food and my relationship to my body. Um, and then I went on and I was a ballerina. And so that just amplified the anxiety. You know, I had people telling me all that was wrong with my body. And I spent my days looking in a full length mirror, wearing a leotard and tights. Um, not exactly the ideal scenario to help someone who has a difficult mm -hmm. relationship to their body. Um, and then getting into college, I was diagnosed with PCOS, uh, which is a hormonal disorder that affects one in every five women, um, but just doesn't get talked about. And it affects our bodies, how they function, how they look uh, so much. Um, and I was trying to manage that through food, which only amplified this really complicated relationship to my body and to food. 
You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. You know, I haven't finished your book, so I'm, I don't really know where you go with this yet. But, you know, that I understand that complicated relationship with food. On Everyone has that on different levels. And I even feel some of that tension within my own family. My family, not my mom and dad, but my family, my six people. So as, when you get diagnosed with PCOS, the complicated thing I would imagine is that everyone's like, well, don't eat bread. Like, you know, just yes. cut out carbs and that's going to heal you from that. What was your journey of walking through that? And I don't even know where you are today with it, but what has yeah. that journey been like? And how did you really like, it's like holding that tension and like letting go of your hands a little bit. I feel like letting go of that control a yeah. little bit. What is that? What did that yeah. journey look like for you? Yeah. So for me, I mean, all I wanted was to become a baker and that was kind of the thing that was carrying me through a lot of sort of anxiety in college was like, what I want to do is bake and what I want to do is become a baker. Um, and so suddenly this diagnosis like took that off the table. It was mm -hmm. like, you know, don't eat bread, don't eat sugar, um, don't eat carbs. Mm -hmm. That's all. Uh, and so that was, you know, I, I dove into on the one hand, I think that kind of furthered my science, baking science education, because I dove into all of these alternative ingredients. This was before you could buy gluten-free everything at the grocery store. This was before like all of the flowers and all of the things were kind of common. Um, and so, you know, I, I was doing my best to explore all these alternative ingredients, but I also just didn't get the same joy out of it. Um, but what was also complicated, you know, most women that are diagnosed with PCOS get a diagnosis like later in their 20s or early mm -hmm. 30s. They're trying to get pregnant and struggling with infertility. Um, I was 19 when I was diagnosed, and I did not know anybody else who had this. Mm. And I wasn't thinking about children at the mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Um, and so I think that added to the complication where, like, for me, the only problem here was this is affecting my weight, yeah. and this is affecting kind of the way that I look, and I don't like that. And so what can I do to control that? Mm -hmm. And so it all became about sort of controlling food to try and control my body. 
which was probably another layer of what you had already been experienced with oh, control. Yeah. So you're just adding Absolutely. layer of control on top of control. Yes, but it gets baptized as something good, right? It's like you're taking care of yourself. You are trying to be healthy. And so these things that like mentally were really unhealthy for me, um, physically were like seen as signs of me trying to take care of myself. And so that it becomes really complicated when there is good and bad all woven together. That is so hard. That is so hard. And then outwardly, everyone's like, oh, we're so proud of you. Look at what you're doing. But inwardly, you're dying. So where are you today with that? Like there are probably, you know, my listeners are like 100% women. I think there's like seven (laughs) guys that listen. And so we're just going to be like, we're going to go ahead on a limb here. But I know, so I'm 45. I know right now, I know four women who have PCOS. And I'm sure I know more. But it yeah. is more common than you would ever realize. Yeah. And especially when you say yeah. it out loud, you're like, oh, I didn't know. Um, and so where are you now with that yeah. kind of holding the tension there? Yeah, yeah. So for me, a lot of kind of my healing came in taking the Eucharist in church and being mm. in a church that offered communion every week um, and allowing myself that bite of bread. Um, and that bite of bread, I think, recast my relationship to church and recast my relationship to bread itself. Um, And so I like to say that it was that bread that really healed me um, and sort of flipped my understanding of how I relate to food and how I relate to my body. Um, And so I, for the past 10 to 15 years, was kind of in a like, I need to eat whatever I can to like mentally be well. Um, And so that was kind of the journey that I had for about 10 10 to 15 years. Um, And in that time, many of my friends also received PCOS Mm -hmm. diagnoses. And for them, it was because they couldn't have kids. Um, I am single. I'm in my 30s and single. And so it it is its own sort of complicated piece where um, I don't know if I will be able to have kids or not. I don't know also if I'll ever have the chance to find out. And so I kind of live with that tension um, and learning what does it look like to take care of my body and take care of myself in the midst of that unknowing. Um, I have been very lucky to find an incredible doctor who is deeply researched on PCOS and um, does a lot more work than I think most doctors do. So in that regard, I, you know, I I have it somewhat under control. Um, But I had to say, I can't, I can't control this through food. I have yeah. to control this through medicine yeah. because mentally that's how I have to right. engage it. You mentioned your community. And one yeah. thing that I think is really beautiful that I've heard you talk about is how much your community uh, means to you. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about that a lot in churches with community and and what that looks like. And, and you mentioned that you were in your 30s and single. And I know that you guys have developed something super, super special. And so talk to me about your community and what that means in your life. Yeah, so for me... Um, I think that being single in your 20s is the hardest, and it I think gets much easier in your 30s, or maybe that's just been my experience. Um, but in my 20s, there was so much of community is constantly shifting um, as people are getting married, moving, finding their jobs. You know, there's this constant movement um, that for me made it so isolating and so hard. Um, and so as I kind of shifted into my 30s, had a handful of sort of friends that are committed to Durham and the city that I live in, um, we have found creative ways to build our lives in community together. Um, and so right now that looks like people that I have dinner with multiple nights a week where mm-hmm. we just say like, this is what I've got in my fridge. What do you have in your fridge? Let's figure out what we're going to make um, and kind of combining what we have and, and having meals and having that be just part of the rhythm of our lives. 
Um, I've got friends with kids who I live across the street from a playground. And so anytime they're at the playground, they just say, hey, we're over here. And I will go over there with my dog and it's a great break in the middle mm-hmm. of the day. And so finding ways to kind of share these rhythms of our lives together um, so that we have that companionship that we need. I think one of the a hard lesson for me has been realizing that um, we all need, I think we were created to need that deep companionship um, and intimacy and sharing kind of ourselves and our lives with others. And that does not necessarily look like marriage or partnership for everyone. Um, and in fact, I think sometimes a focus on that being the solution causes us to overlook the loneliness that exists in marriage, the loneliness that exists in parenthood, and the loneliness that exists in singleness. Um, and so my community has really thought about how do we, you know, we're each in these different seasons. We each experience unique forms of loneliness, unique forms of unmet longing, how do we orient our lives so that one person's kind of point of longing becomes the point of community and companionship mm-hmm. for the other? Um, and it's not always like smooth and easy. You know, it's, I'm, it's I am present for the many like toddler breakdowns and, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I have, you know, we have, we have plenty of moments where it's hard, but that sharing of our lives and community has really, um, transformed my own experience of singleness. You know, it's interesting because I had a conversation um, earlier on the podcast, like actually my husband came in and we talked about dating and we're mm-hmm. always, if we ever, if we ever talk about marriage or dating, we always start with preface it with like that marriage is not the end all be all. It is not the yeah. best thing that God has for you. It is not married. People are not better than single people. And like, we always want to start there and then start the conversation. And one of the things that we talk about, and you mentioned it just now, is like there's this idea that marriage will solve all of your problems. So marriage will mm-hmm. so- solve your loneliness. Marriage will solve mm-hmm. your addiction to pornography. Marriage will mm-hmm. solve your what fill in the blank, whatever it is. Like marriage yeah, will solve it. Yeah, and that's a false reality that sometimes the church has presented to its people. And I love that you just said that you are with your community. You are helping people fight the loneliness and whether they're single, married, college, older, parenting, whatever, that there is loneliness involved there. And it's almost like this idea of like Jesus said, when he's talking about how we have a new family, like you mentioned to me earlier, we have this new family and you're actually living that out. I would love to hear from you just like encouragement for people, not even just our single friends in our communities and our churches who are longing for community. And that is important. But I think also I need to hear encouragement from people to say like, hey, married people, empty nesters, parents with young kids, like how do we mix all of these together to really be the family of Christ to each other? What is your encouragement to people in that? Yeah, my encouragement is to invite people into the things that you think they don't necessarily want to be a part of. It's so good. Like I love when my friends invite me to their kids' soccer games or even just to their soccer practice. Like a kid's soccer game is delightful. (laughs) And I don't have a kid's soccer game to go to. My nephew lives in, you know, Colorado. I don't get to go see, you know, his swim lessons or his like the activities that I would want to be involved in. And so to be able to do that with my friends um, and be a part of their kids' lives in Mm. that way is such a gift. Um, but then at the same time, the older women in my church community are such a gift to me. Being able to, you know, hear their own stories of the church meals that were significant mm-hmm. to them growing up is such a gift. And um, being a part of, I think, intergenerational community, but also just community of folks from different, in different phases of life, um, I think it both reminds us of kind of the fact that whatever phase of life we're in is short lived, that like our life will look very different at different points. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it also helps us to kind of be grateful for the moments that we're in and also be blessed by people who are in different phases as well. So it's that's so good. My husband, Aaron, and I recently had dinner with some of our really close friends and all of their kids are like 23 and up. Mm -hmm. And they have four kids like us. And our youngest is 15. Our oldest is 19. So we're kind of in this thick of parenting teenagers where they have just kind of come out of it. And literally our whole dinner was like, please tell us this doesn't last forever. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? But it is like that. And we love our kids and our kids are great. But it's just, it's a stage of life that is just like, wow, this is a lot. You know, this is a lot. And to look to them and say like, please tell us. And they were able to empathize with us and encourage. And they are, you know, 15 years older than us and they've been through it before. So it is so true about having those relationships and of what that's going to look like. Okay. One thing that I want to talk to you about uh, is my husband, Aaron, and I, we love hosting people around our table. Um, I do zero work. I literally just show up for the conversation and the wine. And Aaron does all the work. Listen, let me tell you. He just cooks. He loves to cook. Amazing. Amazing. He loves to cook. And so I remember a couple of weeks ago, I was like, babe, I think we should invite some people over and let's just let's just like make some some soup or something. And he's like, no, I'm not making soup. He's like, I'm... And then he listed out all this stuff. I was like, babe, just keep it simple. And he's like, I'm not keeping it simple. Anyhow... We love to host around our table. And one of the things that we have always found to be true, whether that's with our kids, with relatives, with people just from church or community, is that conversations happen so much better around the table. It, yes. It, I don't, I need you yeah. to explain to me why, because I just don't know why, but it is true. They just mm-hmm. happen. There's like safety there. There's security there. People become vulnerable. And so with your experience, what is it that brings people to the safe, vulnerable place around a table? Yeah, I think part of it is just like practically, um, when we're sitting at a table, we have a barrier between us that makes us feel safe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, have you ever like had a meal where you're sitting in a circle of chairs with nothing in between? <laughs> I hate it. You feel, I feel almost so... naked. You're like, this is weird. Yes. Yeah. You feel just so it's vulnerable. True. And so like someone can is watching every move that I'm making. And um, so when we have a table, we have like that physical barrier that I think makes us feel much safer. Mm. We also have something for our bodies to do that I think makes us feel more comfortable. Um, I am definitely someone who's very self-conscious when I'm in conversation of like, what are my arms doing? What is my, <laughs> what are I doing how am my I standing? Do I look weird right now? Um, and when you're at a table, your body has something to do. Yeah. Like, you know, even if you finished eating, you can like hold mm-hmm. on to your cup and you know, that, yeah. that kind of gives you something to do. Um, but I also think there's just a vulnerability of, you know, when we're, when we're eating, we're meeting this very basic need. Um, you are providing for someone else or someone else is providing for you this very basic need. There's always some kind of sacrifice involved. Um, you know, someone has put time or money or both into preparing this meal and serving it to you. Um, even beyond the people present at the table, you know, there's there have been animals or mm-hmm. plants that have sacrificed for this meal to come to you. There have been cooks and grocers and farmers and people who have labored for this meal to come to you. So I think there's a humility that comes mm. in the process of eating, this reminder that like, we're dependent on other people. We're dependent yeah. on other creatures. Um, it just kind of, it, it disarms our sense of independence mm. uh, that forces us into this kind of more vulnerable place. Yeah. And that can can be so good. And so um, it can open us up to yeah. other conversations. And we see Jesus when moments around a table with his disciples yeah. or Absolutely. at a wedding feast. Like we see these moments of extreme vulnerability as well there, mm-hmm. which I, I don't find that to be like 
happenstance. Like it feels like this was no. like purposeful, you know, that yeah. God yeah. himself was sharing a meal with his people. And we see it throughout all of scripture, you know, yeah. like with meals and stuff. And I'm sure that that is something that you talk about in edible theology, the, the Bible studies that you guys have. And so it just, it is this reminder. And I think I just want people listening to be reminded that there is something beautiful and special about inviting people into that space. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Like don't be Aaron Ivy and mm-hmm. think you have to make like some kind <laughs> of new, fresh Asian thing you've never made before. Like literally <laughs> use your crock pot is what I'm saying. And then just invite well, people over. I just think it's so delightful that like our hospitality like there is such a gift in people who love doing that extravagant meal and that's how they show love. And there's such a gift in doing the incredibly simple, like my go-to is soup, salad, and bread every time. Ooh, see, I would love uh, that, Kendall. That's, that's what just, I want. Yeah. I lo- I'm, to me, it's like, I I know that I can make a soup so easily into something that fits all of the different food allergies and dietary needs. I know I can make it quickly and put it in the crock pot. You know, I know I can do bread pretty easily. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's an easy meal. And for me, because I come from a professional culinary background, what I hear all the time is um, people say like, oh, I'm embarrassed to have you to my house because I don't want you to, like, I don't want to feed you. I don't want to cook for you. And uh-huh. to me, that's the most heartbreaking thing. Aww. Like I experience love and I show love by sitting at the table with other people. And I don't want anyone else to feel um, embarrassed to have me over or to feed me. So my solution is I make something really simple. I like mess up in front of people all the time um, and hope that that is kind of an invitation into like just a simpler hospitality. Yeah. But I also love it when other people cook extravagant meals for me. <laughs> and then you get to be a part of it's it. It's fun. Yeah, it's so fun. <laughs> okay, I didn't think about this until just now, but we all remember when COVID hit and everyone started baking, except for me. I did not, because I know my <laughs> limits. I know my lane. I know my limits. My friend Noel gave me a starter one time, a sourdough starter, killed it, dead. Didn't even That's ever okay. get to bake anything. So this is where I am. But we saw so many people kind of dive into baking, a lot of them mm-hmm. for the first time during COVID. What did you think about that? Like, did you see like, oh my gosh, people are having to rest, they're having to pause, mm-hmm. they're having to dive in. Give me your take on that. Yeah, so my my initial take was I was like grocery shopping, you know, in the, my friend and I, I was living with a friend at the time and we kind of did a series of grocery trips trying to fit, assess how much we needed to have. And we did one grocery trip and there was no flour left. And I kind of flippantly joked like, is everyone going to start baking bread now? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And apparently, yes, everyone was going to start baking Uh bread. But then I loved it because I think it was kind of this collective awareness that there's something deeply grounding and Mm. something that really connects us to one another in baking. Um, But I also think, like you said, there's something about this like forced rest or forced pause that, that somehow bread like... Red forces us to rest and mm. red forces us to slow down. Um, and so I think it was just so fitting in that time. Um, but I also think like it's just very practical. You know, it's it's bread that unites us as a church in mm. communion. Um, it's bread that unites us kind of in our language when we talk about our daily bread or, you know, the breadwinner of the home or like the bread breaking bread as kind of this like symbol of community that bread has this kind of unifying Mm-hmm. factor to it. And so when we couldn't be together physically, I think it's so fitting that bread was the thing that everyone was drawn to. That's so beautiful. I would have never thought of it that way. And of course you did. And I saw that you made so many connections for me in your book that 
all of my friends who like to bake, I've already texted them and told them, you're going to love this book. <laughs> and so it was just so beautiful. And and I, I love your stories. And, and you really open up your whole, you open up parts of your life that you didn't have to and you didn't need to. But what it did for me as a reader is I felt, I felt less alone in some things that I mm-hmm. might've felt. And I also felt like I saw, I, I mean, when you were just describing how bread connects us, like it's just something I've never thought of before. Mm-hmm. And so I also attend a church who doesn't, who don't take communion every week. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there are those of us, like, I wish we did, um, yeah. but we don't, we probably do it once a month, but just even the next time after reading your book, the next time I take communion, um, it makes me want to cry a little bit. It'll be a different experience for me because I'll mm-hmm. think of it a little bit differently. And I think that's beautiful that you did that for me as a reader. <laughs> You know, I, I think my story of my relationship to God mm-hmm. and to the church has been God pulling me in through my hunger, God pulling me in through my love of food, God yeah. pulling me in specifically through the bread of communion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's something so significant to that. Like For me, it's deeply personal because I think of how God has created me, mm-hmm. but I also think there's something so universal that, totally. that for whatever reason, God chose bread as kind of this, yeah. this imagery. Yeah. Um, and so my prayer is that this book will do that for others, that, you know, will reveal the ways that God pulls us together mm-hmm. and heals us through bread and through especially this shared meal of communion. Yeah. And and I, I think I, because I get to talk to so many people on my show and, and read a lot of people's works, um, I'm seeing a lot of conversations, I'm having a lot of conversations these days and seeing a lot of people talk about their journey to kind of... Um, I'll use a word that a guest just used of disentangling their faith. Yeah. So not necessarily deconstructing, but just kind of disentangling things. And I think that we've all, all of us that have grown up in church have had moments of this disentangling. And I I don't think it's bad. I think it's great. I think this is, God's Mm -hmm. here for it. And stories like yours and then the guests that I had on earlier in the month, Ginger, like they're stories of disentangling faith. It brings me so much hope. It doesn't scare me at all. It brings me hope because you get to the bottom of it and there's Jesus yeah. and he's always been there and he's still there through all of your questions, yeah. through all of your concerns, through all of your hurts, through all of your pains. And um, I enjoy stories like that. And so your book was yeah. like that for me yeah. as well. Can I nerd out a little bit on some bread science? Please do. I want you to. Yes. <laughs> okay. So um, the backbone of bread is gluten. So of course, we've all heard about gluten a lot in yes. recent years because <laughs> unfortunately for some gluten people, gluten is um, really harmful. Right. But gluten itself is made up of two different amino acids called glutenin and gliadin. And these amino acids exist sort of coiled up inside the flour. And as soon as water hits the flour, these amino acids begin to uncoil um, and unravel. And in that process, they begin to form bonds with one another. Um, and in the process of forming these bonds, there's this tension that builds between two opposing qualities. Uh, One of them really likes to stretch and stretch. One of them really likes to hold its shape. And as this tension forms and these bonds between these opposing qualities, that's what provides the strength and structure of our bread. Um, And the process of baking bread is this process of unraveling these gluten strands and then in that unraveling, forming bonds. And then in those bonds, like building that tension and learning this balance between building tension and giving it time to rest. Um, and to me, it's just this like gorgeous metaphor for how the journey of faith works. Right. Um, that this, that this disentangling is, it can feel terrifying in the moment, but it's also something deeply holy. Um, and, in the process, you know, we have to be observing both the ways that these tensions are forming and then that balance between rest and that balance between kind of work and 
trusting that God is involved in this process, um, supporting us and and building those connections and building this network and building this strength. Um, but to me, it's like bread even like yeah. tells us the story of this disentanglement and then kind of re- rebuilding of strength in the process. I, I, only you, Kendall, could have, could have done that in this <laughs> moment. And I'm so happy. I'm so happy about this right now. Um, I'm grateful for for your for your life and for your work. And this book is really, really great. I highly recommend it. By Bread Alone, A Baker's Reflections on Hunger, Longing, and the Goodness of God. Um, oh, yeah. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see the video. You can see the uh, picture. It's super, super cute. Um, Kendall, I would love to know, what are you reading these days? Jamie wants to know. Jamie wants to know. We want to know what you're reading. Yeah, I'm currently reading the book Together by, I think it's called Together, uh, by Vivek Murthy. Uh, He's the former U.S. Surgeon General who did extensive research on loneliness and the ways that loneliness impacts us. And it's so good. Was that pre-COVID? Did he do his research or post-COVID? It was actually pre-COVID. Okay. And uh, he, this book released like beginning of 2020. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I am loving, loving that book. Um, and I am also reading um, Kate Bowler and Jess Ritchie's books, the live, uh, their book, the life, the life we actually live, the lives we actually live. I don't know. I've seen the cover and it looks beautiful. Something like that. Yeah. It's a beautiful book. It's a bunch of blessings for yeah. the lives that we live. Oh, I love that so much. Well, Kendall, where can people find you? And the, the bigger question is, can they find bread recipes from you anywhere? I know you have them in your book, but can they yeah. find them anywhere else? Yes, they can. Um, So I have a weekly email newsletter called the Weekly Digest, and it has a prayer, a recipe, and a resource, um, as well as a little theological reflection every single Sunday. Um, So you can sign up for that at www.edibletheology.com or at www.kindlevanderslice.com. Okay, I'm going right now to sign up. I need that in my life. I will not be making your recipes. I will print them off for my daughter. (laughs) In fact, I was going to like give her, after I finished the book, I was going to like make copies of the recipes in there and give them to her and tell her she could make the bread for us. So when she makes your bread, I will send you a picture of her making your bread. Yes, please do. I love seeing pictures of people's bread after they bake it. Oh my gosh, she is, she made a cake this weekend for Super Bowl and um, she makes the, the um, icing, she makes it all by scratch. Like amazing. The cake was by scratch as well. She followed a recipe, but I mean, it was just like the best cake she's ever made. It was so good. It was so good. And I took one picture of her with it and my, it's all blurry. So I'm like, this is, this is <laughs> the luck that I have. I'm trying to take a picture of her cake for Super Bowl and it's all blurry. But um, I think that just means it was like thoroughly enjoyed, right? It was the thoroughly what enjoyed. It was supposed to do. <laughs> yes. I don't even like enjoy sweets that much. I'm just weird like that. And I ate a ginormous piece of that cake. It was so good. Um, Kendall, thank you so much for coming on the happy hour. I really um, appreciate it. And congrats on your book. Um, I'm just super excited for it to be in the world. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been such a joy. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. Executive produced by Jamie Ivey, produced by Lindsay Sweeney, edited by Angie Elkins, show notes by Nikki Ogden, art by Jen Jet Barrett, original music by Matt Graham, and I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend.